We're happy to make podcasts available for selected ed webinars for your listening pleasure. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information. All right, and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our Ed Webinar. I am so excited. I am your moderator today. My name is Shantae Knight, and I am the Director of Educator Leadership Development for ASCD. And as I stated, I will be your moderator today for this fantastic discussion on addressing teacher turnover, challenges and opportunities for school and district leaders. And since it is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, that means it is just on time for us to get ready to have this awesome, awesome discussion. Here is our roadmap that's going to guide our discussion. Discussion. Uh, as you can see, we're going to talk about just some of the background information that you'll need to know. I'm going to do some context setting for you today. Then we'll get into the most important part, which is the opportunity to meet our fantastic panelists this afternoon. And then we'll talk through introductions as well as get into our discussion. And we will close today about 10 minutes beforehand with Q&A from the audience. So, in addition to that, I think it's important that you understand how we formatted today's panel discussion. Because we're talking about teacher turnover and most importantly, teacher retention, which is really our goal, uh, we want to think more affirmatively and positively, uh, we recognize how the breadth and depth of this topic and how each and every district and school leader is at varying capacities for taking on new strategies, solutions to dealing with this challenge. So we wanted to make certain that every one of you who took the time to spend with us this afternoon at least feels like you can walk away with something meaningful for you that's aligned with your level of readiness and your staff or district's capacity. So we're going to start off by segmenting it in about a three-thirds. So our first third of our conversation, we're going to focus on some of those just-in-time strategies, things that administrators who really only have the time and the capacity to deal with things this summer because they're still growing teams or still building teams, or there are some resource constrictions. They are the ones who we are targeting for this first third of our conversation, who may have teachers who are fence sitting. And what I mean by that is those are some teachers or educators who may have reluctantly re-signed their contracts, but are probably actively pursuing new opportunities during the summer. If we can make some changes over the course of the summer that might be attractive enough, they may just come back over that fence and continue to stay in front of our children and be fantastic educators for at least another year. So we'll be starting with those types of strategies. Then we're going to transition into what we're considering eventual strategies. Those are the ones that we automatically know are great for teachers, great for K-12, but by virtue of the type of strategy, it may be more complex to deal with and unpack. It, it may very well require more stakeholder input and feedback. So it's going to take longer than a summer to actualize. And then we will end with the favorite part of our discussion today, which is dream school. If we were to put it all together, while we're going to make some systemic long-term and some short-term changes that we hope will impact K-12 in a positive way. But what about the future of education? How do we keep how do we avoid continuing to put band-aids on systemic issues that we know need to be addressed? So if we were all to dream of the best school possible that would attract everybody to our industry and protect those who are currently in it, what would it look like? What would it need to consist of? So we're going to end with that. And we want you to begin to ideate and think along with us. So that's our format for today. 
And lastly, before we get to intros, I just want to take a moment to thank my organization. As I shared, I'm the director of leadership for ASCD, and I could not be more delighted. For those of you who are not familiar with ASCD, we are an 80-year-old organization, actually a membership organization. And before I was a staff member, I was a fan. Believe it or not, and ASCD has been along with me for my journey from teacher all the way through district leader. So I am so ecstatic to be a part of the ASCD family and I thank them for sponsoring this panel discussion today on this very, very mission critical topic. And if you want to continue learning or learn more about ASCD, I invite you to consider uh, membership with our organization as well. It's the best place for educators to come learn about new instructional strategies, evidence-based resources, and digital tools. And we are the preeminent global leader in professional learning resources for all educators. So thank you for that. All right. Without further ado, we are going to jump into our introductions. As I stated, uh, the least of this is about me, but I, again, I am a career educator. I have taught and been a former everything, former elementary teacher, former middle school teacher, former elementary principal, middle school principal, district administrator, and all of the things. I had the pleasure and privilege of serving in predominantly marginalized communities where we help students, help teachers and students transform those buildings and see that our students were able to achieve. Some of my passion points along the way um, have grown to be, obviously, educator and leadership development, uh, ed innovation, and academic strategy. So that is all about me in a nutshell. Now I'm going to give each of our panelists the opportunity to introduce themselves. It's a fantastic group of practitioners here with me today. As they introduce themselves to each of you who are joining us, whether you're on our podcast or whether you're joining us virtually on this mm -hmm. webinar, as they introduce themselves, they're going to tell you who they are, where they teach, what they teach, and most importantly, why they teach. So I am going to start with Mr. Roundtree. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you guys for joining us. Uh, my name is Jamar Roundtree. I am the uh, 2023 DC Teacher of the Year and one of five finalists uh, for National Teacher of the Year. And it's just a recipient of the Changemakers Award um, here in the district. Um, I currently teach uh, preschool to eighth grade, so I teach all 11 grades. Um, I do love the babies. They are my favorite grade to teach. Um, I am coming to you with a background in also correctional field. Um, that is uh, another side note for my teaching. Um, and I've been teaching here in the district for 12 years, but I've been a teacher for 16 years at the current moment. And I've, I've coached everything. So my nickname is Coach Roundtree. Um, I have coached everything from fencing to wrestling to um, now this year teaching my kids how to swim. Um, so I've, if you can think of it, I've probably coached it. Thank you so much. Up next, Ms. Polk. Hi, I am Olivia Polk, and I teach at Henderson Middle School at Richmond, Virginia. I've been teaching for almost three years now. I teach English, and I also coach softball at the school that I teach at. Um, I love teaching because I get to be a big kid with the kids, so I feel like right along with them, I get their humor and they get mine, even though it's both corny, but I love doing what I get to do because I get to be myself, and then these kids get to be themselves, so... It's an amazing job. Thank you so much, Ms. Polk. Up next, we have Ms. Pasco. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks, Shante, and thank you for everyone in attendance today joining us. Um, I'm Heather Pasco, and I'm a visual arch teacher at Happerl Horsham. 
high school. That's in Horsham, Pennsylvania. Um, I have uh, I primarily teach uh, digital photography and uh, and drawing. Um, but over the past 29 years, um, I've worn just about every hat an educator um, can. Um, and in just two more days, um, I will be closing my chapter of this this chapter of my career um, and pursuing other things outside public education. Um, but I've always taught to nurture students' creativity um, and to share my passion for the arts and the impact that they make on our world. Fantastic. Thank you so very much. And up next, Ms. Gillette. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Kristen Gillette. I'm a sixth grade language arts special education teacher at Riverbend Middle School in Sterling, Virginia. Um, I teach self-contained as well as co-taught classes with the gen ed. I've been teaching for 10 years at the end of this year. Um, I used to teach elementary as well. I've done both the self-contained settings, the public settings, the private settings, elementary and middle. Um, and I teach because I love to advocate for students who either don't have the voice to advocate for themselves or don't know what they need yet. So giving them that support is really my passion in what I do. Thank you so much. And to round out our panel of amazing teachers and practitioners, Mrs. Jones. Good afternoon. Um, I'm Chelsea Jones. I'm joining you from Chesterfield, Virginia, um, where I teach and support special education students in the collaborative setting. Um, I'm excited to get, engage in conversation with you all today. Um, and I'm actually a career switcher um, who entered the education field due to the beautiful brain of my nephew who falls on the spectrum. And I wanted to see how I can engage with and support other students with disabilities. Um, and I found a passion in that. Thank you so much, panelists. And um, those of you who are joining, as you can see, we have a robust, well-rounded group of teachers here with us to lend their voice to this very, very important topic. And while they will be lending their voice to this topic, we certainly encourage you as well to chat with us throughout the presentation. So before we get started with our questions, we'd like to know who's joining us today. Please take a moment and add to the chat for us. Let us know your current role and where you are joining us from in the K-12 space. And throughout the presentation, while there may not be as much time to unpack all of your thoughts, if you hear the panelists say something that resonates with you, we certainly encourage you to express your emotions, your emotions through emojis. Please throw those emojis in the chat so that we can get an opportunity to hear or see how you feel about some of our thoughts and some of uh, the suggestions that uh, may be proposed today. So take a moment, please, and let us know who is joining us. So guys, as they are, I mean, piling in, I am seeing folks from Carolinas, disability coordinators, teacher assistants, folks in here from Florida. We have teachers from Delaware, uh, Atlantic City, Kingston, Jamaica, private schools, assistant principals from Tennessee, San Francisco, Bermuda. Oh my goodness, guys, Dallas, Oregon, Illinois, <laughs> Atlanta, Princeton, New Jersey. So you guys are coming from everywhere. And again, I cannot thank you enough for being here today. San Diego's in the house, DC, 
Washington State, and the list goes on. So more importantly than that, guys, I want to take a moment to just say thank you for your commitment to our students. Your time here today signals your commitment to improving the state of education for not only teachers, but the children who will benefit from it. So thank you for your presence today, and we certainly hope that you will find value in our talk today. Without further ado, we are going to begin our discussion. I am going to start with this, this number. This number represents something related to teacher retention. And I'm gonna just probe you and see if you have any thoughts about what you think 500,000 represents. And while you are thinking about that, throw it in the chat. If you think you have an idea of what 500,000 represents, and then I'm going to go over what that answer is in just a moment. And also, guys, those of you who are adding questions to the chat, please know that we do see them coming in. And our commitment is to try to get to some of those questions during our closing Q&A. So please keep them coming, but just know it may be difficult for us to get through them during the course of the webinar while it's active. So I'm seeing a uh, number of teaching positions, represents the number of vacancies, average nationwide turnovers, bing, 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 bing. I am going to stop right there because someone actually got that right. So 500,000 represents the average number of turnovers that our K-12 space experiences every year. And this was pre-pandemic levels. So the reason that this number is significant is because prior to the pandemic, while that number is large, we have about 4 million teachers, and you'll see that on an upcoming stat. Um, in the past, if we had a half a million teachers turn over for things like promotions or advancement, or some were just leaving or moving on from the profession, if that were the case, that was okay because we always had a rich bench ready of aspiring educators who were standing there to take their place. But not only are we talking about teacher retention today, but if it's no, it should not at least at this point be any secret that teacher recruitment is equally challenging. And therefore trying to recruit for empty seats of a half a million is nearly impossible. Imagine the loss of learning that our children experienced during COVID. What happens if they lose a half a million teachers? So that's why we are talking about this topic today. And these conversations, guys, are happening everywhere about teacher retention. Teachers are talking about them. Administrators are talking about them. District leaders are talking about teacher retention. And I'm in every one of those spaces. But what I haven't seen is where all three of those audiences are in the same room having the same conversation. Therefore, the purpose of this panel is to enjoy the captive audience that we have of principals and superintendents and other educators on this line to give teachers an uninterrupted voice and an opportunity to weigh in who better to talk about teacher retention and how to protect the workforce than teachers. So the focus of our panel today is to give teachers an opportunity to share with you what they believe it will take for us to protect K-12 educators. So that is our goal for today, and it is our hope that you will find some inspiration in the conversation as well as in the solution. And I am charging each of our district leaders and our school leaders with coming back to your districts and your respective schools after this panel and creating your own trifecta, creating a similar forum opportunity where you are not only listening to the voices of teachers that are joining us from all over the country today, 
but you make the time to do that in your own local district where you are bringing together the voice of your superintendents, district leaders, school leaders, and your teachers in a similar fashion so that you guys can ideate your own solutions when you get home. All right. Here are some stats that will set the stage for our discussion today. As I mentioned earlier, there are approximately four, four million teachers nationwide. Sometimes that number dwindles in the high three millions, but around or approximately four million teachers. At last data pull, and though we're losing on average a half a million teachers, there were 36,000 vacancies. But what I want you to understand about this number, and it is very sad, 36,000 vacancies, and you have to think about multiplying that number, right? 36,000 vacancies represents one teacher per classroom. But on average, how many students are affected? If every classroom has 25 students per teacher and we are we right now can't even fill 36,000 seats, multiply that by the number of students who will either be taught in some format that is less than ideal or perhaps by someone who may be less than ideal. So it's critical the time is now that we set the stage and have this very long overdue conversation about how we can change the face of K-12 education so that we can not only stop the hemorrhaging now, but we can be in better shape for our future. So as you can see here, here are the top five reasons that educators have most commonly stated that they are exiting our profession in record numbers. And not in a particular order. So even though they're enumerated, it doesn't mean that number one reason was. But the five reasons are excessive lesson planning and non-instructional demands. If you feel like that and you're a teacher on this line, if you don't mind dropping an emoji, if that particular um, reason resonates with you, let us know. If you feel like higher levels of disrespect from students and parents is causing a particular strain, and that is encouraging some teachers or even you to think about leaving the profession, please drop an emoji. If you feel like there's a lack of administrative support in either your building or within your district, please drop an emoji. And personally, pers persistently low wages and a struggle with work-life balance. And lastly, work that just sometimes feels despite our best effort, our goals feel unattainable. If you feel like that, let us know. All right, so with that said, it's time for questions. So I'm going to start by asking our panelists if they don't mind telling us, now that we know the top five reasons why teachers are exiting the profession, what do you believe are the long-term consequences of high teacher turnover for schools and their communities? And Ms. Pasco, if you can start for us. Sure. Um, I think with all the statistics that Shante just gave everyone, um, I think more with immediacy, everyone has to really take to heart the fact that the job market has dramatically changed. New graduates um, that have a degree in education and especially a technology background um, have so many more options than just going into the classroom. Um, industries are changing you know, um, the, and, and redesigning how they perceive a, an applicant with four year, a four year degree um, and, you know, bringing training in-house um, to their employees. Um, also to skills based um, hiring um, is occurring in, in many different industries. 
And so educators are educators are needed to, um, you know, train, train in the corporate setting a lot more than before. Um, ed tech companies, you know, third party companies who who strategize and, and bring products to schools that are struggling or, or need assistance in those areas. Um, and also, too, um, I also feel that the best teacher candidates can be very selective. Um, I think it used to be that, you know, what does what does an, a potential teacher have to give to the district where we also have to think about it, the tables turning, like what do you as a district bring to that teacher? Um, you know, why should they want to teach at your school when there are so many job opportunities and options for them? So I think they're all, you know, things to consider. And then on top of that, too, um, the fact that high teacher turnover with with teachers that are, you know, maybe in the the, the, the range of um, not being tenured um, that can jump from school to school looking for the best fit for themselves. Um, you know, and that opportunity for districts to make them the best fit for their teachers to retain them. Thank you so much, Ms. Pasco. Any other panelists want to weigh in on that one? What do you think the impact is? I will. Um, just, I haven't experienced that specifically, but as a teacher in a building, um, school climate and culture is affected by the high teacher turnover, the revolving door of teachers having to be replaced constantly doesn't allow for a cohesive environment um, for students nor teachers. And so all the efforts, resources of the building are constantly being used to replace those teachers and re-solidify that culture and that climate in that building Um, because relationships are (laughs) where it starts and when you have someone new entering your building, you have to fold them in. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely great point. Um, it's hard to gel when you have to keep regelling, right? So it's hard to find the said school's way when that way is constantly shifting. Um, so that double downs and affirms our need to continue to address this problem. Uh, another question or thought, since the lack of administrative support came up as one of the top five issues, how then, panelists, do you believe school leaders can better support and recognize teachers? Jamar, I think I'm going to start with you. <laughs> That's funny because I was just taking myself off mute. Um, <laughs> I think one of the, the biggest ways that administrators and individuals who are uh, above teachers in those high positions um, can do is to um, show their appreciation in a, in a bunch of different ways. And one way that I really um, think is the biggest leverage leverage for teachers is giving back their time, um, showing that that teachers can um, utilize their time in the best ways possible. When the pandemic was strong and alive and well, um, there was a lot of talk about mental health, a lot of talk about giving teachers that time and space to be, um, to just do what they need to do in that, in that space of, of their own. And I think we need to go back to that kind of mindset and give teachers that time that they need to even just use the bathroom, right? Because we know that our schedules are so busy that we don't even have time to use the bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. And then to, to not utilize our time, our break time that we're supposed to be actually planning for other meaningful and enhancing lessons and using that time to and let teachers use that time the best way they want to use that time. Um, I think that's one of the biggest ways that administrators can implement something that is for teachers that would show the appreciation of the hard work that teachers are doing in their schools recommitting or reclaim time 
that's certainly important. Um, Kristen, what about you? What are your thoughts about how administrators could improve? So I was just thinking about affirmations and their presence. So administrators that are there and they're not an elusive um, somebody who's never around and the kids are like, oh no, it's only the person that's over the um, loudspeaker when they're around and they're there and they can see the good things that you're doing and it's not a formalized um, time and place because sometimes we only see administrators when it's time for our formal evals or our informal evals and there's a set time and you get the perfect lesson ready and you do the best you can. But there's a lot of educators that do the best every single day and that may sound corny, but they do. And if an administrator sees that on a Tuesday, it's not going to be shocking a formal evaluation when they have the exact same thing going on. So the presence of them being there and affirming, hey, you're doing a great job, or I saw you working with that student and they didn't have to be asked, they were there. Um, feeling valued is really important, especially when we do so much work outside of the classroom that isn't paid for like in other companies. Mm -hmm. So reclaim time, administrative presence and visibility, and administrators affirming the efforts that teachers are making all sound like fantastic solutions. Ms. Polk or Olivia, do you have any thoughts about this before I transition to the next question? Yes, I actually do have some thoughts as well. I think maybe an admin can also help us support our students with their academic achievements. So them coming in probably inside the classroom and encourage the students to do well on testing or even just encouraging them to just do their worksheet. Just giving us that back up and that support for actually getting jobs done for the students too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Coming in and backing you up mm -hmm. in real time. Okay, that sounds great. Guys, what do you think about thinking about support? What do you think uh, the role of PD or professional development plays in teacher retention? Um, yeah, what do you think about that? Um, if you don't mind, I'd like to step in. Um, as a as a person, I'm a teacher leader in my district, and one of the things that I really pride myself on is providing my 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 team with valuable professional development, and I think that is. One thing that is lacking across the nation around getting our new teachers into spaces where they are learning the tools to deal with our students who are coming to us with, you know, traumatic experiences from the pandemic. Um, one of the big pushes for me this year is to teach social emotional learning and to help kids through the traumatic experiences. But what I'm finding is that I, I don't have anywhere to learn that um, or I'm not being sent anywhere to, to receive that information. So I have to either self-teach myself how to do it and then teach the kids. And that could be a difficult situation. That could be time consuming. That can be um, a, a, a piece of me that's being pulled that I'm not being able to give to my students um, to the fullest. And so if there is professional development that is meaningful, that is going to enhance the way that we teach our students, I think that needs to be a, a big push. I'd like to pick up on something you just said, Jamar, um, to share with the other panelists and see if they'd like to, to jump on this. He mentioned the word meaningful as the operative word. Anyone thought, have any thoughts about what meaningful PD or what quality PD means to teachers and how that can help with teacher retention? Ms. Jones, I saw your hand go up. <laughs> I was obviously itching. Um, so absolutely, um, echoing what Mr. Roundtree said, 
meaningful PD. And when we, when I think about meaningful PD, I'm also thinking about how do we make lessons meaningful for children? They're also differentiated based on what skills, knowledge, experiences they bring to us. And so should the professional development that is brought to our school staff. Um, I love that you mentioned SEL lessons because a lot of times first year teachers or career switch switchers like myself, we enter the profession and we have all these hard skills, you know, how to write the seven page lesson plan. And then we go to our district trainings and they, they share with us how to navigate the hard things, but the soft trainings are really what is valuable. How do we navigate this building? How do I dial out of my building? How do I deal with this child who has had a breakdown? And I'm not an emotional person. Um, I was I was just sitting here to deliver my seven page lesson plan. So regarding professional development and our teachers, I think it needs to be very intentional and differentiated for our instructors. Thank you for that. What about you, Ms. Gillette? Um, as soon as you said meaningful, it brought my mind to purposeful as well. I think a lot of teachers get the same exact trainings and maybe you're overloaded with trainings at the beginning of the year and all you get is the same repetitive stuff at the beginning of the year. But special educators need different um, trainings than maybe a kindergarten teacher and preschool teachers are going to need different trainings than seniors in high school. And those teachers may have 40 years of experience versus five years. And there may be things like dialing out how to lock your door, where the emergency routes are, those kinds of things that seem silly, but they're important and they keep us safe, but they also keep us confident in what we do because we can then teach the kids and not worry about everything else. Thank you for that. And Ms. Pasco. Finish us up. I think I think that, and also what we're all talking about, meaningful, purposeful, is you know, upfront asking for teacher input and feedback on what what teachers need to succeed in their classrooms, and not some idyllic type of concept that comes from the top. Um, all of the the content that belongs in PD needs to be shared and created with teachers involved in that decision making process, um, and also really everyone you know taking an honest, open minded look at what the issues are, um, you know, in 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 a, in, a, in a very like compromising way. Um, teachers are most connected to students in a classroom and in a school. Um, so, you know, providing them with what they need is a direct correlation to the success of students. Thank you for that. So here's what I heard in this particular segment um, as we think about strategies that will uh, help promote teacher retention related to PD. I heard that it needs to be not only meaningful um, and meaningful is defined by the teachers. It needs to be purposeful in the sense that it has value to the teachers specific to their context, not just a broad stroke of PD. And teachers need to be able to have voice and teachers need to be given the tools to manage all of the challenges and some of the new things that are coming through their classrooms without necessarily having to ask. So um, all of those were wonderful strategies and I appreciate you guys offering them. I am almost prepared to close out this segment so that we can move to our eventual strategies, but I do wanna do one quick short round on culture and climate and what you guys believe is the impact of that on teacher retention. 
I think communication is a big thing. Um, you know, definitely clear communication, um, being transparent about your decision making, um, I think is really important. Um, you know, possibly sending if if you know that that you know there's there's things or issues in in your building um, that need addressing. Um, that it's an open dialogue um, and that, you know, all stakeholders are involved in sending out um, surveys that are more open ended um, in, instead of having a like more biased feel where teachers feel pressured to answer a certain way um, to get a desired results from them. Um, you know, just being open to feedback um, and using that to make things better. All, all of us working together as a team. Um, to make this a better place for everyone. Thank you. And Ms. Jones, if you can finish us up. Sure thing. So I teach um, English language arts in the collaborative setting. And when I'm teaching mood, I tell my students, tood is the mood. So the attitude in the building is the mood of how the culture and climate are perceived by students and staff alike. So relationship building is super important the students see the relationships with the adults. So it sometimes it's fake it to till you make it, but genuine relationship building will filter into our classrooms and to our students. So that helps build climate and culture as well. Mm -hmm. And I can speak for administrators. I know typically there's a deliberate effort made, but oftentimes that effort is made much like PD at the beginning of the year. And so I know at different points we had fun getting prepared for this discussion today. One of the things that came out of our discussion that we didn't get an opportunity to mention was not only the importance of community building and being deliberate in building teams and relationships, but making certain that we that gets done throughout the year along with those PD opportunities, because piling on at the beginning of the year for teachers when they are committed to opening doors and getting their classrooms ready, uh, it makes it very difficult to, to they're in overload at the onset of the year. So finding ways to optimize PD by spreading it out throughout the course of the year also is certainly um, a goal or a strategy that administrators and school leaders can work towards. Audience, and if you want to join in on this particular um strategy session. If you have any thoughts about just-in-time strategies that you might also recommend to school leaders, please drop those in to the chat as well. We would appreciate it. All right, next up is we're going to talk about um, strategies, I think, related to contact, um, content that might be more complex for us to navigate in the course of a summer. Um, so we want to talk to administrators and school leaders about uh, how we can make uh, school more successful, thinking about teams and culture. How would you guys recommend that school leaders go about building high-functioning teams? Um, if you don't mind, I'll just take a stab at it. Um, I think one of the, the key leveraging pieces to this retention piece is, is giving teachers um, the power to sit in those seats, right? And the power to be able to help guide the policies that are being, you know, added to the, the school climate culture, um, to the, the systems of wherever you are. And I think one way to do that is to leverage our teachers who are doing amazing things in their classroom and asking them to be leaders in the, in the district, to 
um, to step up and possibly um, run some some PDs, but also making sure they get paid for it, right? Like not just asking them to do it, but make sure that they get paid for it. Because there are a lot of amazing teachers who are doing amazing work outside of the school, you know, district or systems or whatever the case may be. But that valuable information that they're teaching outside that could be used and utilized in your schools. Thank you for that. Anybody else want to weigh in on how administrators can go about if we're going to focus on culture and climate? But these things, culture and climate is not something we fix in a summer. So how do we ensure that administrators have ideas for how to build these high functioning teams, getting teachers involved in professional development, giving them some type of incentive pay? Any other thoughts about how to create high functioning teams that benefit everyone? So one of the things I feel like is very important would be a purposeful grouping of teachers um, as an administrator, making sure that you don't have a team of all new teachers, you don't have a team of all teachers that have worked together for 40 years. Um, you need to have a difference, a mix of different teachers so that they can draw upon each other's strengths and also push people to different places that maybe they didn't realize they could do. So some people may be better in one area, but then grouping them with somebody else could teach them how to be a leader in a different way. So making sure that you know your staff and grouping them accordingly to make sure that they are actually creating this high functioning team with each other, not forcing people who just you think go together well, maybe really looking at personalities and education degrees, that kind of stuff, seeing who could go together and even personalities to see who could do best for those students, that group of students. Thank you for that, Kristen. Any other final thoughts? Um, because I want to dovetail with a different question uh, that got triggered based on those good, good responses. Okay, great. Well, what do you guys think about um, the impact, since we're talking about teacher teams, one thing the teams commonly do is, at least they're supposed to, and that's plan collaboratively. What do you think um, the impact of the current master schedules and buildings are having on teacher retention as it relates to teacher planning time? It really doesn't seem to be a consideration. Um, I think the layering of things that teachers are consistently asked to do above and beyond what they're, they're, they need to do with students, and that's teach them um, and, and be there for them, um, there, there needs to be a better way to devise a schedule. And built-in collaborative time needs to be an essential piece of that change and redesign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts about teacher planning time? Thank you for that, Ms. Pasco. It would be super helpful if teachers had more planning time, obviously. It's just, um, it's like a known fact. If you're a teacher, you almost can't work bell to bell if you are doing um, all the teaching that needs to be done because you're with the kids, you're engaging the kids, you're watching kids, even if it's independent, you're with them. So allowing those blocks either for extracurriculars or other activities um, that they could do so that planning could happen, but also it needs to be unencumbered. Um, that time needs to be sacred because there is often a planning time, but then every week, three times a week, you have to meet with these people or go to this. There has to be a time that's sacred, which would keep people because we don't get paid over time. So it would be helpful if there was a set time, like a lunch time, um, but for planning so that you could get stuff done during the day, um, that would take a lot of that pressure off. And I think it would retain more teachers. Okay. Thank you for that. And what about you, Mr. Roundtree? 
I think just to, to add to that, um, if this were to take place where we you could have that point in time that to be sacred, this would also allow teachers to go home at the end of the day rather than having to do that work outside or after, like we were talking about, not getting paid for those after hours. Um, maybe possibly figuring out ways to group teachers so that they have um, some opportunities to collaborate together. Um, maybe bringing in a sub to do like once a month where teachers get that opportunity to kind of collaborate and build out more lessons together and make that more of a respectable community within your school culture. Thank you for that. And since we've pay has come up a couple of times in our conversation, and it was also listed and identified as one of the top five reasons as we prepare to close out this section and move towards our dream school. How do you guys think salary and benefits could improve? We know it affects teacher retention adversely, but what are some recommendations that you might have to district leaders who are looking to restructure their benefits package to help incentivize teachers to not only come and join the profession, but to keep those who are here? What could they do differently that may be connected to your conversations about planning time or maybe connected to your conversations about incentive pay or comp- other additional forms of compensation? What are your thoughts? Anybody want to weigh in on that? Um, I can start if that's okay. I think tuition reimbursement should be offered. Um, I believe firsthand, especially for people like just new into this, like me. Um, I feel like I am permanently in the game with teaching, but I also like you know tuition reimbursement will actually be very great for us to have because like oh that's a great part. I might want to stay in that because like I gotta get these student loans paid off. <laughs> But I really feel um, as if tuition reimbursement should be one of a, a really big benefit for teaching and paying. Thank you. That's a great point. Anyone else who has thoughts about restructuring benefits or incentive pay? Ms. Jones. Again, as a career switcher, um, it was a, a curiosity that brought me and definitely not the pay that has kept me. Teachers teach from a point of passion um, for learning. Um, but at some point that passion does have a price tag on it, right? Um, and as our panel reflects, it's predominantly dominated by women in this profession. I recently had a child and um, leave is a point of contention for teachers, not just for major life events, just for everyday sick and mental health leave, um, which has increased. um, And I know one of our panelists um, might speak to that more. Um, Teachers are taking their time and it's hard to take your time because if you teach, you know, sub plans are way harder than showing up sick. Um, So something, around our leave and protecting that in a way that allows us to take time for ourselves because we're human without guilt has to happen in order for teachers to stay. Thank you so much. And Ms. Gillette. To piggyback on the um, sub uh, situation that you talked about, I know subs are hard to find currently if there's a shortage, Um, but if there was a way to pay the subs more or to pay them for certain jobs, I know that the retention for them might be higher, but training those subs, people who don't necessarily have that bachelor's degree, that if that's the qualification that's limiting them from licensing, 
um, pay them more so that they can go towards that achievement, give them training that they need to be in the classroom, behavioral management skills, um, reading strategy skills, things that will get them through all the classes that nobody necessarily wants to teach, the hard classes, the special ed classes, um, that purposeful PD for them, it's free. Um, if the county gave it to them, I think a lot more people would be willing and then teachers could take a sick day and not not panic about the sub plans and losing a day of instruction because really that's what we do at the end of the day. We worry about our kids and what's going on that day that we're gone. So thank you very much. Well said. All right, folks, the time has come for us to switch to the most important part of the day. Um, we're going to talk about dream school, right? So we've offered a number of different strategies that things are kind of low hanging fruit, things administrators could do most immediately. But now let's talk a little bit about Dream School. Those of you who are joining us again, um, if you'd like to participate with us in the chat and you can think of um, not only something that is Dream School related, but even if you can think of an one of those eventual strategies we were talking about. If you feel like there's something that we missed or we should also share with administrators, please drop that in the chat. But my current question about Dream School is if we were to revamp and reimagine K-12 education, while we could certainly ideate a number of things that need to happen systemically from master schedules to different individual approaches to different campus facilities and how those could look, but what is one critical component if we had to think of something that we want to see universally um, in a dream school? What could you think of that you think would really be a game changer? It could be connected to the salary and benefits because I heard teacher um, when Ms. Polk talked about the importance of having uh, um, loan forgiveness. That's not a new phenomenon. But the challenge with that is that it's often given if it is until it runs out. And we want to make certain that that is not a negotiable. If that's what we believe is going to take in a dream school setting when we reimagine K-12, that all teachers who are public servants and dedicated to this work have automatic loan forgiveness, then we should say so, right? So so again, it's dream school vibes, dream big. What do you think is a critical component, some new reimagined idea or approach to instruction that we really need to consider for our dream school? And panelists, you can either let me know or I'm going to just go around and ask you for your component. And those of you participating, drop your dream school idea right in the chat. Um, I guess I, I'll start. Um, one of the things that I really in, in my dream school would be a cohesive um, partnership between our school and parents, um, making sure that our parents are not only um, a part of the conversation, but a part of the school community where they have their own space within the school system. So that way they feel like they're a part of the community as they should. And so that way their implementation of what they their ideas are can be heard, but they are also sitting on all of the, the committees and the, the PDs being a part of that process would make that community feel more cohesive. Perfect. Parental involvement, excellent idea. Um, as a part of the fabric of the school community. Other thoughts a dream school must have? Kristen, I'm going to I think to something. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um, I was just thinking, and then I, um, Jamar took it from me. So I am going to say that parent involvement, uh, community is support um, for what the teachers are doing. Um, 
would be my very first dream um, that everyone was sort of on the same page in that an educator is someone who's trying to make your student do better. Um, so usually if they've assigned something that should be done. Um, a lot of times we get pushback from parents about things that are done late or that person deserves that grade, trusting that we're um, professionals and individuals that we can handle that at school. Um, I would also say that if this was a dream school, unlimited technology use, I don't know that it's necessarily fair that some um, school districts um, all got Chromebooks for the pandemic and people have unlimited access to smart boards and tablets and um, some schools don't. And it's not fair that classrooms don't look the same and it's not fair that um, sometimes there aren't enough supplies or people pay for their print copies. So a dream school would have everything to everyone's advantage at their fingertips to do their best. And then they could just access because we could just teach with everything we needed. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Mrs. Jones. I think um, my dream school would include passion driven learning. Um, if you've ever been a teacher, you have definitely heard why do we have to learn this? Is it on the test? Is this a grade? Um, and that's because not that our lessons aren't necessarily engaging, but this isn't something they're interested in. And you think to yourself, when are you going to use this? Um, this has just been how it's always done. We decided what you need to learn. And you don't get to make that choice until you're in high school or college and you decide, I want to try this path. And so now these classes that align with my passion are now available to me. I think that needs to be available from the beginning of learning. Um, let children explore what their passions are and give them the tools for learning deeper and, and farther into that passion. And that's an excellent point, as have all the others been. Uh, one thing I think is critical is this idea that we keep funneling children into one path. And life is can, depending on how you look at it, my cup is always half full. And I believe life is long and it's meant to be enjoyed. And I, our brains work in so many different ways. I tell my children all the time, if I could live nine lives, I could do each one of them differently because I'm passionate about so many different things. So this idea that I only want to be an educator for my whole life, or I only plan to be um, 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 a mechanic for my whole life, or I only want to be a doctor for my whole life. I would love to live a life that I got to do all of those things because there's interest in serving co different communities and, and, and using different parts of my brain. So I love the idea of uh, promoting exploration and giving students the tools they need to be successful in multiple uh, multiple ways where they can live, maybe work a third of their life doing one thing and then another third doing something else, right? All right, so I'm gonna come to you now, Ms. Polk and Ms. Pasco, you're gonna finish us out with Dream School. All right, Ms. Polk, what's your one big Dream School component? My one big dream school is also to piggyback off Ms. Jones. I really believe in like passion driven learning and also seeing what the kids want, like giving the kids what they want. Of course, make sure, you know, it's all checked out and it's appropriate. But like when they're more excited about, it, let's say, for instance, just creating a video game and turning it into some kind of assignment, they get excited about it. They put all that effort in and it makes the time go by faster. It makes it fun. It makes it easier. We don't have to sit up here and put up with trying to get this kid to write anything because they're trying to figure out a way to find the text evidence, but doing it in a crime investigational kind of way. Like I love implementing games in my lessons. So when I see these kids like having fun with it, it makes it fun for us too, because we're not sitting there trying to struggle to get a kid to write something or read something for too long. 
I like to make things fun. And so that will be like my dream school just to have fun with the education. So it sounds like our dream schools include teacher voice, student voice, and parent voice so far. So that seems like a non-negotiable and they don't need to be the kind of extended day or when we start at the beginning of the year and everybody's happy. We want consistently students informing their their own education. We want teachers being able to personalize those experiences for students with all the tools they need at their disposal for free, that they don't have to come out of pocket so that they can do their best work. And we want to make certain that parents are a, fabric, a part of the fabric of our school community and have a space within our physical spaces to be among us and their students to take an active role in the academic and scholastic experience. And what about you, Ms. Pasco? Dream school. I definitely think all of those things put together and one of the missing pieces of that is community connection. Um, you know, giving teachers the time to connect with community businesses and industry and, you know, um, people who can make a difference also in kids' life by, you know, that exposing them to to jobs or careers or or other different types of services that instill in them the desire to give back. And I think happy teachers, inspired teachers, that that's they inspire the teachers of the future. Um, if if we neglect all of this, the, the teacher impact and decision making and everything that we've just talked about, it definitely then, you know, dissatisfied teachers and disgruntled teachers are, are maybe teachers that just, you know, don't feel heard or their voices heard. Um, that reflects also in their teaching. And, and like we said, students pick up on the relationships and the adult vibe in the building. Um, and it really makes a difference. But you know, community connection would also give teachers the opportunity to step outside of their classroom and either upskill or re-energize, you know, that connection between what they teach in the classroom and what making it more relevant to the real world. Um, So I definitely think that those types of opportunities, whether they be internships or um, I know multiple schools um, in our area have a community service piece that seniors need to do, um, you know, before they graduate. But anything that can just, you know, make everything a cohesive community all together, um, I think is is something that really is going to guide the future um, of education and, and what comes back to it. Thank you so much, Ms. Pasco, and a huge thank you to all of our panelists today. Your authenticity, your commitment to this work is is second to none. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your ideas. I'm certainly hopeful that the administrators and school leaders and district leaders joining us today uh, found some ideas and some support for what they may be struggling with and how they can support teachers in their own districts. Teachers and other educators on our panel today, thank you so much for joining us. I've seen so many fantastic ideas and I'm so grateful that this is recorded and that you guys will be able to uh, pick this recording up or go back and review it and listen through all of these great strategies. Because as I look through the chat, I mean, I'm seeing all types of fantastic ideas for dream schools, dedicated specialists in our dream schools, teachers having two teachers teaching at all times instead of one being related exclusively to special education, on-the-job training, parents being a part of our buildings and having their own spaces inside, eliminating partisan politics from education, uh, career tech ed in all high schools and all middle schools, a full staff of social workers, uh, automatic loan forgiveness for all teachers, 
I mean, you, the list goes on and on for all of these fantastic, fantastic ideas. So thank you guys so very much. I do see a few questions before I end with just a few reminders about how you can continue to learn and engage with us. I will take a quick look at the questions um, and see if there's anything on here we could we could handle. How do you handle the topic of accountability without burning out staff? who are already overloaded. I think a part of accountability for those who ask that question is really having staff feel overloaded because they haven't been in on the uh, front end of those conversations. If staff are committed to the changes that are making, the burnout is less. So the way you deal with accountability, people are happy to be accountable for things they've committed to instead of being committed to it to things being committed for them. So give your teacher voices in early on planning for your schools and they will be happy to walk the walk and the charge. If you are still interested in learning and you have time and capacity this summer, we also encourage you to consider joining uh, ASED at our annual learning labs. Uh, they are taking place in July in Orlando and there is also a link to that information in the slide as well. So. Thank you again for everyone who has come out today. We certainly appreciate you joining us and we certainly look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you to everyone. We hope you enjoyed this EdWeb podcast. If you'd like to receive a CE certificate, you must watch the video recording. Recordings and quizzes can be found in the EdWebinar archives. Please visit home.edweb.net slash podcasts for more information.